O wisdom coming forth from the mouth of the Most High, come and teach us the way of love and life. Amen. prophesied Messiah, the one who was to come and free Israel and bring about the kingdom of God on earth. And then, when Jesus begins to preach about how he must suffer and die, Peter gets upset and rebukes him. Jesus responds by calling Peter Satan and telling him off. And you know, I think Peter and the disciples get a bit of a bad rap sometimes, especially in the Gospel of Mark. It's really easy to look at the ignorant, bumbling disciples and shake our heads and laugh at them. But if we take a moment to think about it, the disciples were actually fairly justified in their beliefs. The prophesied Messiah was supposed to free Israel and bring about the kingdom of God and to a bunch of people living under the oppression of the Roman Empire, a politically powerful, revolutionary figure makes sense. The fact that Jesus was supposed to come and topple Rome was a perfectly acceptable hermeneutic. Their understanding of who the Messiah is and ought to be did not come from nowhere. It's not like they made it up. Indeed, it would have been in the very air they breathed. This would have been something that most people thought. Their beliefs and desires led them to what they believed. And honestly, it's pretty hard to fault them for that. They wanted the revolutionary, and they looked for the revolutionary and were shocked when Jesus said he was not a mere revolutionary. We can take this further when we speak about the Pharisees. Jesus is constantly set up as doing exactly the opposite of what the Pharisees seem to think is right. Jesus' healing and working on the Sabbath was a very big deal, and they believed it to be desperately wrong and sinful. They believed very strongly that it was, in fact, evil, and they thought that they were doing what they believed God wanted. Beliefs are tricky to talk about. And when things are tricky, I like to find a definition written by people smarter than me and use that. The Oxford Dictionary of Philosophy defines a belief as anything we think that we hold to be true. Actually, it's about a page of a paragraph, but that's the gist of it. So, for instance, we begin the creeds with the words, we believe or I believe. That is, that we hold the following to be true. Now, belief is not knowledge, at least not yet, because a belief can be false. Philosophically, a belief only becomes knowledge if that belief is true. For example, Brandon can believe with all his heart that the Oilers are going to win the Stanley Cup, but it only becomes knowledge if that actually happens. We begin with belief, which is good, but it ought to then evolve into knowledge for us to continue to hold it. This comes when we have justified reasons for believing the things that we do. Justification in this sense is a massive topic and very complicated, and I won't bore you with that here and now, but one way to justify a belief is through evidence. Last week, during coffee hour, I had a wonderful conversation with a gentleman that attends our church about why he believes in God. 
His primary reason for this was what he called, or what is called rather, the fine-tuning argument. The idea that the universe is far too well-tuned to, uh, to not have been created or designed. The mathematical probability of there not being a god or creator is so low that it makes logical sense that there is indeed a god. From there, he worked out that Jesus was the best revelation of said god and so forth. So, come to coffee and we'll have great talks about God and his existence. It is all well and good to say that we believe something, but it is much better to have solid reasons for said belief. Now, you may be asking, do we need perfect evidence for knowledge? Is true knowledge even possible, especially of God? Well, yes or no. Perfect true knowledge, capital T, capital K, uh, is only known to perfect beings, that is, God. And since we are not God, our knowledge will always be flawed, and that's okay. We may not have capital K knowledge, but I think we can be happy with lowercase k knowledge. Things we are well justified in believing such that we can call them probably true beliefs. These are things that we have good reasons for believing, with strong evidence that we confidently hold and that are unlikely to change without very good evidence to the contrary. So we can say true things about God because they are probably true. Now, some of you may have noticed that our current cultural climate is a little bit, shall we say, tense. There are many, many, many reasons for this, but I think one of the contributing factors is that we are, as a society, often unable to deal with our beliefs being tested or questioned. Not even attacked, merely questioned. The idea that one may possibly be wrong is treated as the utmost affront. Something as respectful as, do you mind explaining why you believe that, is sometimes taken to be the equivalent of, you are wrong. You are wrong, and I hate you, and you are awful and evil, and I despise you. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. People are passionate. <laughs> People are passionate about their beliefs, of course. But the vitriol with which some react to simple questions is astounding. It seems to me that we have decided as a society that to be wrong is the worst of the worst. To be incorrect in something is to be little better than trash on the side of the road. This is coupled with the fact that people rarely question their beliefs. I remember a few years ago when I was living in Kelowna and working at the airport there, I was having a discussion with a co-worker about politics during one of the elections. I asked him who he was voting for, and he said, my political views are conservative. And I said, okay, cool. Um, and then I started to ask him about various topics around the, that were you know, being discussed during that election. And his response to every single one was, my political views are conservative. Which is not a particularly nuanced view. This discussion, if you can call it that, went on for a few minutes before I eventually gave up. His unquestioned beliefs were little better than opinion, founded on mere thought. I would much rather have a discussion with a person I disagree with, who has at least thought through their beliefs, than a person I agree with, who has no idea why they believe them. Being wrong does not mean that we are bad. It simply means that one is incorrect. But if being wrong is evil, 
If it is the worst possible thing, we will never question our beliefs. The problem is, is that we also turn this idea outwards. Not only would I be evil if I was wrong, but if others are wrong, then they are evil. So if we have opposing beliefs, one of us is good and the other is evil. You see how this creates division. If we immediately assume that those we disagree with are evil, then we will never actually have conversations that will bring us back together. We talk a lot about Jesus reconciling all things, but we often seem to mean that Jesus is reconciling all things to my point of view, to my unquestioned belief. Returning to our text, Jesus' words of rebuke come because Peter has spent a long time with Jesus and refused to question his beliefs. He believes many things and has reasons for them, but Jesus has shown time and again through his teaching, miracles, and life that his reasons may not be as justified. His beliefs may in fact be false. And I think it is quite common for us to be very much like Peter in this moment. Jesus says something that perhaps contradicts a belief we hold, and our response is to recoil, to rebuke Jesus, to take him aside and explain to him that he is indeed wrong, and that we know best. You see, Jesus, you don't understand, this is not what I believe, and you need to be quiet, you need to stop. Jesus responds by telling us to deny ourselves, to follow him. Peter, for all his faults, eventually does come around to the true knowledge of Christ, that the kingdom does not look like how he thought it would, but that it is actually much grander than he could have ever dreamed. Lent is a time of self-reflection, a time to slow down, to look inward, and then outward eastward. This Lent, I challenge you to take some time and reflect on your beliefs. Why is it that you hold them? Are there good reasons? I have found that in the process of understanding my beliefs and working through them that I have become significantly more tolerant to others. As I've grown in confidence of the truth of my beliefs, I have also become more comfortable talking about them, uh, talking about others, about theirs. Do not fear having false beliefs. Do not fear the possibility of being wrong. Even though Peter was rebuked for his falsity, he was not rejected by God. His being wrong did not make him less worthy of God's love. It did not close him off from it, but gave him the opportunity to embrace it. And he did, and the Lord embraced him back. His initial belief was in a mere revolutionary, but Jesus showed him that he was so much more than that, that he was God, and that he was all that he needed. In Acts, Peter is shown a vision that shows him that not only is the kingdom of God for Israel, it is for all people. When I was an atheist, I, like Peter, had many unquestioned beliefs and refused to listen to anybody that I disagreed with. And as someone who has changed their beliefs because of logic and the revelation of God, I can say that it is quite likely that some of our beliefs may actually be too short-sighted, and that God may be calling us to something greater, if only we have the ears and the eyes to perceive. Thanks be to God. Amen.